many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhumans, Boomer Anderson here, and I'm in the lovely Buenos Aires, enjoying some time with the family, but I hope you are well wherever you are. This episode is particularly interesting to me because I've had multiple people in my life over the past three years say, Boomer, you should incorporate some form of play in your life. And these are some of my own personal advisors, people like my medical physician, people that know me very well, etc. And I always said to myself, you know, I enjoy going to the gym. I find a lot of joy out of that. But there was some other element missing. And that element, according to these people that I rely on, was play. And when I looked around to find an expert on this concept of play, today's guest came up repeatedly. And I've had the pleasure of seeing him speak multiple times. He's extremely, extremely entertaining and always has great stories. But my guest today is Daryl Edwards. And Daryl is the best-selling author of Animal Moves. He's a movement coach, a TEDx speaker, and a thought leader in the area of creativity and innovation in fitness and health. He's the founder of something called Primal Play. What did we get into in this episode? Because as I've said, multiple people in my life said I needed more of this, and so I had a lot of personal questions for Daryl. We talked about how Daryl went from finance to movement expert, something that I know a little bit about. How bad is the current level of activity amongst all of humanity? How humans have devolved from homo sapiens to homo sedentarians, which is a word that Daryl uses. We talked about what is play and how play differs from traditional exercise. And finally, the steps you can take to avoid the perils of a desk job. The show notes for this one can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com slash play. And you're going to want to stick it out to the end because Daryl, as always, is extremely entertaining. Enjoy my episode with Mr. Daryl Edwards. The sponsor for today's podcast is Neurohacker Collective. The chairman, Jordan Greenhall, has been on the show to talk about one of my favorite topics and episodes to date, sovereignty. And the medical director has also been on the show to talk about unleashing your human potential through epigenetics. That's Dr. Daniel Stickler. But why do I love Neurohacker Collective so much? Well, frankly, it upgrades me on a day-to-day basis. Actually, I take their products five out of seven days of the week. Their original Qualia stack is something that I absolutely and still thoroughly enjoy. It's packed with over 40 premium brain nutrients to immediately enhance your focus, energy, mood, creativity, and all while supporting your health. Their new flagship nootropic, Qualia Mind, is a premium nootropic supplement that helps support mental performance and brain health. And frankly, with both products, I do not get the crashes that I commonly get with nootropics and other supplements. So I want you to go over to their website and check it out when you have a chance. It's neurohacker.com. And if you subscribe, you get 15% off by using the code BOOMER. If you want to just do a one-time purchase, you get 10% off, again, using that code BOOMER. And while you're there, pick up their free foundational guide to neurohacking. It's definitely worth checking out. But please, enjoy the show. Daryl, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much, BOOMER. It's been a a real pleasure to be invited, and I'm looking forward to the chat. Uh, We're going to chat about so much, but you and I have a mutual background, um, or at least a mutual background industry. 
that is. I would love to hear just sort of how you got into the space of play, specifically because you were in investment banking for so long. What was that transition like? Well, I suppose it's, it's quite a stark contrast from investment banking, technology, working crazy hours, very demanding, very stressful, but extremely lucrative career to doing what I do now, which is educating people about kind of reclaiming their inner child, so to speak, and, and to seek joy and pleasure from movement. And, and I think because I had that background as a career, as a vocation, it, it probably made it easier for me to transition. So as a kid, my childhood was very playful. I was of that generation where you were told by your parents explicitly to get outside and play, you know, find something to do, don't get into any trouble. And we, as children, made the most of that freedom. You know? So risky, adventurous play was a huge part of my childhood. And, and I remember not enjoying kind of strict, structured, regimented physical activity. Games that I would enjoy playing with my friends, like basketball, I loved, I loved playing. And I had a little bit of modicum of talent. But as soon as I tried to become a better player, to be on the school team and, and the like, I wasn't great at drills. I, wasn't, I didn't really have the discipline to do what I had to do to become a better, a better player. But playing, I enjoyed. So then entering into technology, working for Microsoft in the early 90s. Then I got headhunted to work in banking because there's a huge investment drive in technology being used by financial services, becoming very successful, but being very, very serious about life in general. Everything that I did was extremely serious. You know, work, work hard, you know, would say play hard, but there wasn't really much play. You know, it was just something that was thrown about, bandied about. Uh, play would be you know, late nights getting drunk. Going out to the bar, popping champagne, that kind of stuff. Yeah, ex exactly. That would, be, that would be, you know, classified as play. And then when I got an early warning um, about my health, you know, in terms of you're pre-diabetic, you have a very high risk of having a heart attack. You, you, you have very severe hypertension, blood pressure. I was suffering with low back pain for almost a couple of decades. And I didn't want to take the medication that was prescribed. So I was like, I don't really want to take statins. I don't want to take beta blockers for my blood pressure. You know, I don't want to take metformin to, to control my blood sugars. You know, what else can I do? And the, the, the one thing that I knew for definite was that my sedentary lifestyle, I was pretty much sitting, you know, I could, if I could have rolled out of bed and, and worked, you know, um, that would have been the ideal day for me. Roll out of bed, work, roll into bed and have somebody bring me a sandwich. The old, the old 18 hour, <laughs> the 18 hour sit day, right? Yeah, exa ex exactly. So, so that was, that was the, you know, a regular occurrence, um, including weekends for me and being demanded on a 24 hour basis, you know, things went wrong. I I'd be part of a SWAT team that would respond, um, to any kind of emergency situation involving things not working in the bank. So having that Amber warning, Daryl, your health, you know, there's something wrong with your health. I'm like, hey, I'm a bit too young to be suffering with this. Well, actually, no, you're not. This is, this is fairly commonplace amongst your peers. I had, I had people, you know, in their early 40s who were, who were dying of, of heart attacks or, you know, having strokes. Uh, um, being physically active is something that I have to do. I had no idea what I had to do in terms of improving my nutrition, but physical activity became the gateway 
for me to explore other avenues to improve my health. And just by becoming physically active, my blood sugars normalized, so I was no longer pre-diabetic. My blood pressure came down. I was much better able to kind of manage my stress because I had an outlet to, to get to kind of offload a, a lot of that. And my heart health improved <laughs> as well. So my lipid profile, my cholesterol profile improved. So once I realized how powerful movement was as a kind of an antidote to my chronic lifestyle condition, I then realized there was something missing in terms of joy. So I literally took that hard work, you know, beating, have to, having to beat my peers <laughs> into the gym environment, thinking I've got to beat everyone in this gym. I've got to be on top of the leaderboard. I've got to be smashing and crushing my workout of the day. <laughs> I, I want to tell people how amazing I am at my physical achievements. And, um, and that's all well and good until the honeymoon period wears off and you start kind of dismissing that appointment that you had to go to the gym and go, oh, I'll do something else instead. Or there's a show I want to watch on TV and I know I could put it on catch-up TV, but actually, no, I want, to, <laughs> I want to watch it live, you know, like almost make any excuse not to go to the gym. Starting to get injured, starting to feel like a failure if I was number two on the leaderboard rather than number one. And I just realized I couldn't sustain that. And for this the long is all time. while you're working still, right? Yeah, that's all still working with an investment bank. So you're just smashing your sympathetic nervous system on both sides. Constantly, right? constantly. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, to be fair, I, I feel in the short term, it was something that I could manage. It was something my body could handle. And, and coming from a very sedentary, very poor and sedentary uh, lifestyle, almost anything that I would have done at that stage, including very high intensity, pretty much smashing my body at every opportunity <laughs> was really beneficial because it took me, it took me out of that kind of that funk that I was in. But of course, operating at a hundred percent all of the time was not, was not a long-term prescription. It was probably a very good, let's break the back of this problem. Let's get you out of this, this kind of low point of this very sedentary point, let's start improving your health, let's start looking at improving your diet. So I spent several years within investment banking, um, living a, a much healthier lifestyle, trying to improve my work, my kind of work-life balance. But the other drawback was the fact when I was asked questions about, okay, Daryl, you know, your, your workouts are kind of crazy, or, you know, I've noticed you're, you're eating, you're not eating what you used to eat. You know, can you tell us why you're doing this? Why are you working out differently to most people in a gym? Why, 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 why? And I couldn't actually answer their questions in a way that satisfied them. Um, you know, I didn't have any research. I didn't have any evidence. I could just say, well, it's working for me. And whilst that continues to be the case, I'm going to do this. So I, I realized I had a responsibility to help people who were in a similar, similar predicament to me. And I had to learn more about the lifestyle that I was living. And in that, became a transition to decide I was no longer happy working within investment banking and I wanted to become some type of health and well-being kind of representative. And I wasn't sure at that stage whether it was going to be nutrition focused or, or movement and physical activity focused. And when I decided it was going to be fitness, initially it was going to be fitness for the elite high performance individuals who just want to smash it. And I want to show them the latest and greatest ways of doing so. But the aha moment was when I realized if that isn't working for me, <laughs> if that high powered 
have to be in a particular environment to do what I need to do physically, if that doesn't actually turn me on and, and kind of floats my boat, why am I trying to sell this <laughs> to others? You know, I really want to get more people engaged in this and to be more inclusive. Then how, why am I only targeting, I only want a five-member gym, people who can pay huge sums of money to attend, you know, black box style, you know. Uh, how do you get membership to that gym? Oh, I have no idea. You know, 15 people before you even get to the, you know, <laughs> before you even find out how you can actually apply for membership. You know, that was the, the original idea. Uh, but I realized play for me was something that I'd longed for for many years, that I'd lost as an adult, that I, I'd lost the joy of movement. And I wanted to reclaim that. And once I did is when Primal Play was born. And once I realized, okay, it is great going to the gym, but I can actually have a gym environment wherever I am, in my living room, in my back garden, in my local park, wherever I am, my state of mind is basically the best gym that I could have. And even better than that, it's the best playground I could have. <laughs> so, so there was an evolution of that initial eureka moment of I need to play more and then actually realizing play is not just about physical activity, but about my entire life. So I've kind of given you a, a real, giving you the backstory and kind of taking you along some of that journey to where we are today. Thank you for sharing that. And I can, I, I know you and I were talking beforehand. I could certainly relate with that story. Now I want to take, if we go up to the, like the 10,000 meter view of just society at this point, how bad is our current movement crisis or I mean, movement before play? How bad is it really across the world? Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, um, there are two problems. One is we don't realize how sedentary we are. That's the first issue. And secondly, even if we are aware, we're not aware of how unhealthy that situation is for us as humans. So most of the time I have discussions about health and well-being. Nutrition tends to dominate. It tends to dominate discussions. There are more cookbooks and books on nutrition than, than pretty much any other area of, of health and well-being, more blogs, more, more podcasts, and, and so on. And fitness is kind of seen as, I, I would say, the poor relation to other, other pillars. And it's not as sexy as like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing sleep sleep hygiene and sleep hacking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm off to a retreat in the Himalayas to sort out my, I'm doing a digital detox. And, you know, so there's all these, there's all these uh, interventions that probably have more waiting from an attention point of view. And I think part of that is because a lot of that can be outsourced. You know, a lot of that you can almost relieve a little bit of responsibility <clears throat> and shift it to others and say, tell me what to do and help me do this and give me some instructions. But with movement and physical activity, you have to do absolutely everything. I mean, no one can, no one can alleviate some of that burden for you. You have to <laughs> actually move. You have to, you actually, actually have to introduce a physical stressor to your body to actually improve your conditioning, to adapt to that overload. And so other, all other areas in a way are, hey, if you do this, your sleep will improve. You know, if you rest and recover, spend more time resting and in a parasympathetic, oh, you're just gonna feel great. Focus on your breathing. There's all this added value 
that you can get. You know, if you improve your food and nutrition, you know, it's anti-inflammatory. You know, it can help improve your body composition. You know, it's like, oh, wow, wow, wow. I can just do this and everything's going to be great. But with physical activity and exercise, and, and it's like, not only do you have to do some actual work, but you actually have to do more of it. And you have to increase intensity because your body will adapt to what you do. So you have to constantly be overloading and adapting to get the most out of that movement medicine. So, so it's quite a scary proposition for most people. And given that we don't have to move to survive now, whereas it was part of our legacy as humans. In the past, if you didn't move significantly, you weren't going to be building your shelter. You won't be able to hunt and gather food. You weren't able to defend your locality. I mean, you know, it was part and parcel of what we had to do to survive. Now, pretty much we can be satisfied with a smartphone on, in a chair. We can swipe and click a button. Food's delivered. You know, <laughs> you can live your life. Your, your dating service is delivered yeah. too, you right? Can date, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can socialize. You can engage in debate. I mean pretty much from this, from this device. So the chair supporting our physical stature and a device which basically removes our need to lo for locomotion. So it's a huge problem. And I would say that we, are be we have become, from homo sapiens, we're now kind of homo sedentarians and we suffer from the one kind of chronic lifestyle disease that we don't mention is uh, sedentitis is what i is what i call it so so uh you know we're increasingly recognizing obesity and the obesity kind of ec epidemic as a disease in its own right you know that there are many many root causes and there are many things in our environment that makes our environment obesogenic and we're suffering the consequences of that. You know, there isn't a single, single uh, kind of root cause. And I would say that sedentitis will, will also be increasingly seen as, as this sitting, a sitting disease, a physical inactivity disease. And so much of our physiology is negatively impacted by being sedentary for the amount of time that we are day to day. So in terms of giving you some stats and some numbers, research tells us, Research based on questionnaires will tell us that adults, about a third of adults in, say, the US and in the UK, just a little bit, little bit less in the UK, are meeting the physical activity guidelines of 30 minutes a day, five days a week of moderate intensity activity, so the aerobic activity. But when you have put trackers on these individuals, fitness trackers or physical activity trackers, then it drops from 30% down to about 5%. So people are so, lying. So people are lying. I mean, of course. I mean, that's a, that's a drawback with, with questionnaire-based research. You know, we, we, we present the best version of ourselves. We, you know, the fact that we, we walk from our desk to, to the toilet, we would regard that as, oh, yeah, that was, a two minute, that was two minutes of moderate intensity activity. I walked to my car, which is, that was another 30 seconds. And then before you know it, you'll say, yeah, I did 30 minutes. But the reality is, is somewhat different. And even if, you, even if you were meeting the 30 minutes a day, five days a week, which is the minimum recommendation for health by pretty much all government and health bodies around the world, we're still missing out on resistance training, <clears throat> strength training. So the recommendations actually say 30 minutes, five days a week, and two days a week of resistance strength training, you know, multi-joint 
compound exercises or muscle groups being engaged. <clears throat> so many people are not hitting that as adults. Kids are, are not much better, unfortunately. About 8% of children in lot, lots of the Western world aren't meeting, meeting their minimums of 60 minutes a day. Eight zero? Eight, eight percent. Eight. Eight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Eight, eight percent. So they should be getting 60 minutes a day of moderate to vigorous intensity. They should be doing two to three days of kind of bone building, muscle building activity. So in other words, they should be jumping they should be climbing. They should be really utilizing their bodies in the way that they were designed to do. And, and pretty much society has driven down that need because parents don't want to let their kids go outside and play. They're afraid of doing so, and, and we've become kind of okay with that now. Schools are reducing them out of recess time and, or play time, as we call it in the UK. That's being reduced and being replaced with more academic endeavors. And even if we decide to have structured play time or training time or extracurricular activities like you know sports training, for example, the amount of time spent actually playing the game is a small proportion of the total time spent being coached and being taken through drills and watching people move to learn how to move. So, so even that requirement where you go, hey, my kid's doing four hours a week of basketball training. What, you know, they're, they're more than meeting the requirement. When you actually monitor how much work is being physically is being done, it's a very, very small number of minutes. So we're really letting, we're, we're letting ourselves down as adults. We're really letting our children down. Um, and then I haven't even discussed the health ramifications of that sedentary lifestyle. So, so, you know, I mean, I'm happy to kind of discuss that in, in, in more detail, but the research is, there's a significant body of, of, of research as to what the health implications are of being sedentary for significant periods of time, both for mental and physical health. I, I think some of those research points are pretty well I guess you can say well-documented. We'll link to some of those in the show notes. I want to just kind of pick your brain here. Aside from just sitting all day long, what are some of the other aspects of this sort of uh, movement or other aspects of the dangers of sitting at a day job all day long that should be brought to our awareness? Yes, we can get up and move, but should people be outside more? What kind of things do you think we should be aware of? Yes, I mean... Totally, totally agreed. It, it's more than just the amount of time we spend sitting. Um, but I, I have to go back to that slightly. If you're sitting for eight hours a day, which is, is not uncommon when you factor in, you know, commuting time in a car or public transport, um, your time at work, plus your time at home sitting, eight hours is not you know, uncommon. It takes, the research tells us it takes 60 minutes of exercise, moderate intensity activity to undo eight hours of sitting, right? A day. So, so even for those who go to the gym, um, not many of us are doing 60 minutes of moderate intensity continuously for an hour. And that just, that's just to undo the damaging effects of sitting. So we actually would need to be doing more to start improving our, our health and well-being. That's the first problem. Secondly, when you factor in the fact that we are indoors for most of our day, that we aren't getting access to nature, that we aren't getting enough exposure to say vitamin D, that we aren't getting some of the calming mental health benefits from being out in nature, that's also problematic. And thirdly, we are suffering from that chronic, the chronic stress that occurs by being kind of cocooned in our work 
in our work environments and not having a, a real break from that go, 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 go that we constantly have, many of us have day to day. So yes, being active is a benefit, but being active in nature actually offers even more benefits. So if I run on a treadmill, for example, and I run, I don't know, eight miles an hour on a treadmill. If I run eight miles an hour outdoors, I burn more calories. I actually burn more fat. So my metabolism uh, you know, is, is working uh, more effectively when I'm outdoors. Uh, and that's because of things like increased wind resistance, uh, because of increased focus and attention, because you're, you're kind of navigating your, your environment. The fact that temperature regulation, uh, your body's trying to regulate its temperature, which means you're, you're using more kind of adipose tissue fat resources in order to, in order to do so. So just that, just that difference in environment, you get far more for your time by being outdoors in doing this. And finally, to add the colors of nature, especially the color green. So the natural green that we see in nature reduces blood pressure. It will also boost the immune system's ability to do its job. So it improves immunoregulation, which is also, again, pretty remarkable. Like I can do exactly the same amount of work, but I'm getting all these additional benefits. I'm more likely to be motivated. So I'm more likely to want to continue doing this, being outdoors. So what a powerful combination. You know, nature plus being physically active, which if you think about it, that was our ancestral, uh, that was our birthright. That was the environment we were, we were created, you know, designed or created or evolved to be in outdoors being very active now we're indoors for most of our day uh, inactive so the antithesis of of what we were designed to to be doing so everybody out there should go out and throw out their treadmills right we should uh get <laughs> get rid of the treadmills and this podcast is not sponsored by lifetime fitness <laughs> that's for sure yeah so i mean you know if you have a treadmill and and if it's a case of Sitting in your chair doing nothing and having a treadmill, of course, have the treadmill, use it, you know. Uh, but if you want to optimize your movement experience, then use your treadmill, but also run outside, you know. Um, um, if, you can have the, if you can have the environment where it is safe for you to go outside, you have the climate to, to enjoy nature all year round, or even if you don't, I don't have that in London. But I mean, I, I want to be fit all year round, not just in the summer. So I do go out. In, in the cold and, and, and move. Uh, and I do delight in the fact that I can have to work harder to keep my body warm, <laughs> you know, and I don't mess around. I'm like, okay, I got to get stuff done, you know? So yeah, get outside and play. Mix it. Yeah. Let's, let's focus on that last term. Cause you brought up play a couple of times now, and I want to expand on that because when I think of exercise or movement in general, I'm thinking of exercise, going to the gym, lifting heavy weights, moving a little bit. What is the difference between exercise and play? Exercise, the definition of exercise is structured, repetitive movement, usually requiring physical exertion. So it's something that you have to do, which is more than what you would normally do at re your body does at rest. Okay. There's usually uh, a reason to do it. So you're usually thinking about, okay, I want to improve my, my health. I want to be thinking about my body composition. I want to improve my cardiovascular fitness. So there may be a training element to, to, to exercise. But that repet, you know, repetitive nature, that structure removes it from play in, to, in many respects. It's, it's more like work. Hence why we use the term working out. 
So it's perfect, a perfect description. We, we work for, to, to earn a living. And then when we are physically active, we decide to work out. And it's something we, we do because we decide we have to, not because we choose to do so for many of us. Play is the antithesis of this. Play is something that we would do because we choose to do so. Because we see that by commencing that play journey, we're going to have some fun. I mean, that's the, that's the driver. So most of us don't start exercising because we go, oh, this is going to be so much fun. You know, and when people say that they, they do, oh, it's so much fun when exercise. I'm like, I can't see any fun in your face when you're just grimacing for an hour. You know, when you're, when you're breathing as if you're, you know, when you're being really heavily labored and it looks quite punishing and painful. And at the end you go, you know, I, I beat myself up and, and wow, I'm proud of that. You know, well, I'm doing this because I'm raising money for charity. You know, that's the only way I can, I can endure this. <laughs> so I would say people have, have so disconnected from play that they misuse the term when they're exercising. And, and, and when you are truly playing, you have instant gratification. It's not just about the benefits you get right at the end. You know, the endorphin rush you get after a 40-minute run. You know, that's what a, a runner will, will be waiting for. Oh, yes, that it, the achievement occurs after 40 minutes, after you've covered a certain distance. With play, the ach achievement, there's intrinsic value, there's intrinsic motivation, there's instant gratification. And usually, if there isn't, aren't those things, you go, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to try something else because this is no longer fun. It's no longer engaging. It's no longer motivating me in the present. So that's really the essence of, of play. And we are so disconnected from that as, as adults, as humans. And we're depriving our kids of that experience in many respects to, to become a passive experience. Oh, here, here you go. Use this tablet. That's your play, your play experience. You know, um, let, me, let me keep an eye on you. That's your play experience. I want to see exactly what you're doing and when. But when I was a kid, and I've been thinking about this a lot, even in the last few days, having conversations with people about this, we chose as kids the riskiest, most adventurous things that we could do that we felt was within our level of ability when we were kids. You know, so for example, I was talking to somebody about, in the autumn, we would uh, we'd do something called apple scrumping. Scrumping, we call it, is the term that we use here. And that's basically when the apples are ripe, we would collect apples from somewhere. But I tell you one thing, if, we, if I had an apple tree in my back garden, that's not the tree that we would, <laughs> we would not be interested in waiting for apples to drop and go, oh, isn't this amazing? We've got apples in my back garden. No, what we would do is we would find somebody else's garden where we'd have to climb a wall, where we'd have to climb a tree, where actually there's a risk of being caught by the owners of the, <laughs> the apple tree and, and you know not that i'm advocating you know <laughs> doing that but that's not advocating that shoplifting be, here <laughs> yeah not, you know but but that's what you'd be driven to do the element the element of risk there's an element of, of adventure you know let's seek out what's beyond you know what's what's in that forest you know what's what's down that ravine can we get down there safely you know there's buried treasure perhaps let's just you know let's use our imagination so that engagement that many of us had as children, that sense of adventure, that ability to risk assess, that ability to communicate as groups, to become more emotionally intelligent, to bond as children. A lot of us are, are so disconnected from that. And so even when we're exercising as adults in a group, 
it's very rare that you see groups cooperating when they're exercising. They're so concerned with being individuals competing that that's the, that's the prime objective. We're doing, a, all of us are doing 100 burpees. And we'll go, isn't this great? We're all working out as a group. Yeah, this is group exercise. Mm, no, you're actually individuals doing the same thing. <laughs> is that, is that and, uh, Google? That's, that's, no, it was actually my, my watch recording what I was just <laughs> talking about. I don't know. I, I didn't realize it was recording me. But, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so you know, that, that, the group experience is actually individuals being connected by doing the same thing, but there's no real, there's no real cooperation or collaboration. It's more for, let's motivate ourselves to push ourselves. But the, the truest sense of play would be, of course, let's motivate ourselves. Let's, let's push ourselves, but we're collaborating. We're making sure that the weakest person within this group is part of this experience. We're making sure we can utilize all of our gifts and talents to achieve the grand objective, which is let's go and get some apples. <laughs> you know, let's get on our bikes and ride for miles and, you know, make sure we can get back, you know, on time for dinner, <laughs> you know? So, so, uh, so yes, there's a, there's a huge difference between, between play and exercise. And hence why I say we should be spending less time working out and more time playing out and recognize that it's the attitude that dictates whether the activity is playful or not. So I'll give you another example. Uh, I've seen people posting on social media they're, out in the, they're in the woods and uh, they have a kettlebell, say, and they're doing some kettlebell swings. And they'll say, I'm playing out in nature as a swing in this kettlebell. And it's all very serious and like incredible form and technique. Uh, you know, the breathing patterns just perfect. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, camera ang angles are all great. And that's what they'll hashtag as playing in nature. There's nothing playful about that scene whatsoever. Nothing. Just because you're in nature doesn't make it playful. Just because you're moving and being active doesn't make it playful. It's the attitude which makes something playful. And if you were to give a kid a kettlebell and, say, and said, I want you to play with this kettlebell, they would not commence with doing 100 kettlebell swings. It, th that would not be part of their movement vocabulary. <laughs> right? It, it wouldn't, this wouldn't happen. If you said to a kid, just go for a run, there's a, I would guarantee you no kid of a certain age before they're told how to exercise would just run in a straight line and go, I want to see how fast I can run, I, I can run a mile in. That, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They'd be running in circles, back and forth, changing levels, want to be chased, pretend to be a lion chasing a gazelle. You know, they'd want to piggyback someone if they were nearby. They would decide, oh, there's a tree here. I want to stop running because I can climb the tree. Uh, you know, oh, there's some, there's some rough ground that I can crawl. So, so yeah, I, I could talk about this forever, but the missing piece with play is the exploration of what you can do at a given time, which isn't structured, which isn't repetitive, which takes into account how you feel at that moment and what, how you interact with your environment. And if you're by yourself or whether you're with others, also informs what, the, what activity you will actually undertake. Daryl, this is really helpful. Now, you've got experience working with many individuals, and I've seen you do this at PaleoFX wonderfully. How do you take somebody, myself included, I'll label myself in this group, uh, who's hyper type A, you know, loves the measurement of that mile run per se, and then just switch them over into this play mode? Because that's 
and you came from similar industry as me. That's not very easy to break. <laughs> yeah, it, it isn't. And, and to be honest, I, I used to want to convert everyone to this way of thinking. If, you, if you're working out and you're working out regularly and you're motivated to continue and you're, in, you're having pleasure from that pursuit, keep doing it. Because to be honest, most of us just need to be moving more and moving in ways that are helpful for us. So I don't want to put people off by saying, oh, you working out is not, is not good. You know, exercise is a, is a modern way of ensuring we get a certain amount of movement. It's a supplement for, for that we require in a sedentary life, right? So I have no issues with, with exercise. But if you're the sort of person who's questioning your, the time that you're spending, just spending more time looking at metrics, and tracking how you're performing than actually enjoying what you do. If you're feeling despondent because you're not making the gains or the progress you expected, or your peers uh, are doing better than you, or, or whatever, it may, whatever it may be, then I would suggest you want to be add some more directives that mean, actually, the only thing that matters during this session is that I'm having a lot of fun. Because I'll tell you one thing, which people usually understand when they attend one of my workshops, or my play shops, as I prefer to call them, is that I do want to be the strongest, fittest uh, person that I can be, the most functional, the most practical, the most productive from a physical point of view, uh, as well as uh, maintaining optimal well-being as I can. And if I thought for one second that play was a derivative of working out, you know, that I'm, there's a limit, there's a limit placed on how physically performant I can be because I'm only playing, I wouldn't be doing this. But I feel, I feel play gives me the best options available to be generally, for general preparedness. So I don't just want to be strong. I want great stamina. I want great balance and coordination. I want, you know, mobility and flexibility. I want great power. And there's all these different attributes that I want as a jack of all trades and, and a master of none. And so People are surprised when I'll be doing one-on-one -on -one, uh, partnership-based games. And they're like, I can't believe how strong you are. What else do you do? You know, what do you do in the gym? And I'm like, I, I don't do anything in the gym. I just do this. You know, how can you, you just do body weight. I'm like, actually, no, I don't. I piggyback carry. I fire and carry. And if one person's not heavy enough, I fire and carry two people. And, <laughs> you know, if that's not enough, I'll have piggyback somebody as well. So I've, I carry three people and I push cars and I lift logs. And so... So I feel play actually removes the barriers to your ability because I know if I go into a gym and I say, I lifted 450 pounds in my deadlift last week and I want to improve. And I've got to the point where I can only put fractional plates on. So I'll add half a pound or a pound onto that, you know, and I'm, I'm making steady progress. But I know if, if I had no idea what was on the bar, and it was a matter of kind of life or I've got to be able to lift this. I would probably smash 450 pounds and have no awareness of what I was actually lifting. Right. Because I haven't, I haven't created that, that, that barrier. And if I couldn't lift it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter either. I'm like, Oh yeah, I couldn't lift it. But if I was tracking every, all those metrics, I'd be, I'd be disappointed, depressed, like, Oh my gosh, I've hit a plateau. What else am I going to do? What supplements are I going to be taking? So I'm actually stronger and fitter now than I was when I was working myself to death training like an athlete. And, and, and you know, and of course I can't, it's an N equals one. And, and, and 
I haven't been able to ha clone myself and see what would have happened if I ca carried on in the sport of fitness and carried on playing and seeing what would be, what would be better from a performance point of view. But uh, I'm very happy with my progress. I'm very happy with my mental state. I'm very happy that people are surprised at how strong and fit and athletic I appear to be, given that that wasn't part of my inheritance. I was a geek, a nerd, like clumsy as heck. Couldn't, I struggled to do a couple of push-ups in my 20s. Couldn't do a pull-up until I was into my 30s. I mean, I, I, was not, <laughs> I was not a jock um, in, in any way, shape, or form. And so when people meet me now, they assume I was always pretty physically literate and gifted. And it's, all, it's only something that I've gained or reclaimed, I suppose, uh, from, my, from my childhood and gone, actually, this is, this is the real me and I'm happy with my abilities. Let me push those as best as I can and have some, and have some fun and feel good about what I'm doing. So, um, so yeah, I, I think a couple of things I would say to people trying to switch from one to the next. If you're happy doing what you're doing, continue to do it. If you want to have a little bit more balance, then just think about you, the workouts you do where you get the most enjoyment from and, and, and do more of that. And, it, and then if, if that still isn't enough, just do something really crazy that you lasted when you were a kid. So whether it's a game you played as a kid, whether it's, uh, you know, climbing a tree because you think a pull-up isn't functional enough. That's what I did. That's one of the things that I did. I was like, I can do 25 strict pull-ups on a bar. I can do, you know, 20 on, on rings. Let me see if I can do a pull-up on that wall. Oh, I can't. I can't do even one pull-up on that wall that's 10 feet high. What the heck? I, I'm, I thought I was doing a, a functional pull-up motion. There's a problem. Okay, now I can climb that wall. Great. Let's see if I can do a pull-up on a tree trunk that I can just fingertip grip. No, I can't. What the heck? Why am, why am, I, am I not strong enough to do so? You know, so, so just change your environment slightly and see if the movements you're doing in the gym, if there are a functional bent, see if you can replicate those in a different environment. And if you can't, then that demonstrates that your training is not preparing you enough to be functionally capable outside of the gym. You know, you'll just be start becoming gym fit. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, uh, just to go off on a tangent, I remember once visiting a farmer who was, you know, probably mid-60s. And he, I remember him saying to me, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> I've seen some of your stuff. And, you know, you, I know you, you were born in the city and you're a city boy. And he said, we have so many people coming into the country <sighs> you know, jacked as, he as hell, uh, doing all these different types of workouts. And as soon as I give them a bit of real work to do on the farm, they fail miserably. Uh, and so he gave me a few challenges, I remember. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't think I'm going to do well at this at all. And I, I, did, I did really well. And, and I remember thinking, that's why I train the way that I do, because I want to prepare for the unknown as well. And I want to know what my capability is. So even if I say to someone, you know what, I'm happy to say no to that because I'm probably going to get injured. I'm probably going to let ego get in the way. I'm happy now to say, I'm good. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I'm, I'm happy with my capability as it is now. <laughs> awesome. So Daryl, if I lay out kind of the continuum, if you will, there's the sedentary person over here on the left. There's the person who's um, exercising kind of in the middle. And then on the right, uh, the image I'm getting in my mind right now is parkour and sort of the guy who's outside just doing a lot of this stuff and enjoying it 
Uh, do I have that right in terms of just laying out the continuum? I, I would no. I would say even parkour is is a little bit too much in the. It's it's more playful, arguably, than say the the gym rat, for sure. But if you want to become very good at say parkour, it it then becomes, becomes a challenge. Like a, no, it's a cha- It's a, like a, it becomes like almost like a martial arts pursuit. You know, you've got to train, train, train to become able to stick that landing to become very skillful at what you do, and so it becomes more work and less and less play. So, so I would say the the far end of the spectrum is taking your childlike self into your adult body, which is more physically capable, and exploiting what your kid would your childhood self would have done in in adult form. That's what. That's what the end of that continuum is. You know, so you want to be a superhero when you're, when you're six years old. You know? So you want, to, you, know, you want to leap tall buildings in a single bound. You want, you know, you want to be as strong as, as, as Superman. You want to crawl around like Spider-Man. You want to, you know, whatever, you know, you want to use a lasso like Wonder Woman. What, I mean, whatever you, you, want, to, you want to do. Uh, so, so that's what the, the end point is. And wherever you can go to shift, definitely shift from sedentary. There's nothing helpful about that whatsoever. Um, I would say for some people, we don't need to train like elite athletes. Unfortunately, elite athletes have similar life expectancy as sedentary individuals. Uh, you want to be on the right, the tipping point of the bell curve, where you're getting enough physical activity without being injured, without increasing the likelihood of infection, without increasing the likelihood of injury, without increasing the likelihood of, of concussion to the brain and tra- all that trauma to the body. So hit that sweet spot of being active enough across as many disciplines as possible to ensure you, you're getting whole body, holistic health. And what, if you're doing that, then make sure it's motivational and sustainable by playing a lot more, by engaging with your kids a bit more, so if you go to the park with your kids, I mean, no wonder people are bored. If you're on your smartphone watching your kids playing, no wonder you're kind of like, let's get inside now, kids. You know, I've been here for an hour and, and there's nothing for me to do. That hour could be you playing and going crazy and giving license to do so. You know, you've got an excuse to do the sort of stuff that you're afraid of doing because your kids are with you. <laughs> you know, so, so you, could, you could utilize your kids as a proxy to go, instead of going, Johnny, get off that tree, you can go, oh, I'm going to have to get up there and help him out, aren't I? Or, you know, like, do just you know what I mean? join in. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, join in. And have join some in. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Daryl, before we go into the rapid fire questions, and I know we're coming up on time here, but before we go into rapid fire questions, let's say I'm Johnny Banker. Uh, let's just use him as kind of the archetype, stuck on my my desk 18 hours a day or maybe 12 what are three things that they could do to just get more of this play experience let's say they have 15 minutes in a day what are three quick things that they would be able to do um i would say break up their sedentary time as much as possible so that could be as simple as every time they get a phone call take the phone phone call standing up every time they they're gonna have a, a a colleague conversation that they would normally use on say some sort of instant messenger or by email walk along to the desk and have a have a proper chat if you if you're you know if you're seeing a colleague on another floor pretend that the elevator or the lift doesn't work you know you have to take the stairs so make some decisions that aren't based on feeling comfortable about what you're doing and just those very simple steps will mean you're getting 
a few more minutes of every day of being more active, even within that 18 hour day of pretty much being at your, at your desk. So that's, that's one recommendation. Just think of all the opportunities you can to break that sedentary time whereby you can still be productive from a work point of view, you know, because yeah, if I'm having a phone call anyway for 15 minutes, I can have it standing. I can pace around a bit whilst I do so. I can have standing meetings rather than sitting around a boardroom table. I can have walking meetings. Now let's have that meeting at lunchtime. Let's go outside and discuss this. You know, we can be just as productive, actually more productive, the research tells us. Um, um, when, you're, when you're being active and in intensive discussion and, and thought. So that's one, that's one way. When you're away from the office and away from the desk, think about active commuting. Think about uh, making the most of that time where you are sedentary outside of work. So if you're coming home and you're just crashing out on the sofa, you know, think about something that you could be doing. Maybe you're watching TV, commercial breaks are on, you do a bit of movement for a minute, minute and a half, just to get the blood flowing, just to kind of make yourself feel a bit better, less fatigued. So that's a great way to incorporate some in incidental movement into your day. Think about movement snacks, movement breaks, rather than, oh, I don't have an hour available to me. Instead of doing an hour, I'll do nothing. Instead, think about, oh, I could do five minutes here, two minutes there. And then before you know it, you've got yourself an hour spread evenly throughout the day. This is excellent, Daryl. Thank you. So... Final rapid fire questions that I ask everyone. And I want to jump into the first one and just sort of say, what is the aspect of health, and you may be biased on this, <laughs> that you feel is most overlooked today? Um, I would say movement. I mean, I mean and, and I wouldn't say, I mean, arguably you could say I'm biased, but the, the body of evidence is so significant, overwhelming, that many of the things that we try to apply as the number one intervention we can actually get from movement as well. So gut microbiome, for example, not many of us are aware that the fitter we are based on our VO2 max, based on how we're able to process oxygen aerobically, can increase our gut microbiome diversity and health promoting bacteria by 20%. So, so imagine without changing our diet, you can improve the, vi the diversity and the volume of, of health promoting bacteria in the gut. So not many people are aware of that. You know, they, they're told, you know, take probiotics, have, eat kimchi and fermented foods or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but being more active promotes an environment which good, healthy bacteria uh, thrive in. So there are so many of these areas that I, I've been privileged enough to have to look into and recognize that it is almost a polypill. You know, like there's almost nothing that's, that isn't impacted positively by being physically active. And I know from genetic standpoint, it's something like a third of your genome changes in terms of expression, which is fantastic. Yes, yes. Thirty minutes of and and even with play, going just to, just to add to that, thirty minutes of play activate around there are about there are about twelve hundred genes that are that are impacted based on that, um, and over a third are only activated by play, being in a play-like state. So 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 imagine so working out and then playing out you actually have even more of an epigenetic expression of more, of more genes. So that's also useful, useful to note. Aside from movement, what's your top trick for enhancing your focus? Um, apart from movement? <laughs> apart, apart from okay. movement. So, so I would say probably being in nature would be, would be, the, would be the second most beneficial. Getting, out, getting some, some, some morning daylight, you know, kind of resetting 
setting ourselves up for the rest of the day, that serotonin release, you know, hopefully in the summer getting some access to vitamin D um, and just giving myself opportunity to, to think about what I want to be doing for the day, day ahead. So I would say most of us are nature deprived and most of us are activity deprived. And those two are, are significantly beneficial for our health and well-being. What's your favorite book on high performance? Ooh, ooh. And if you have a couple, that's okay too. Um, on high performance, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish I could recommend one. And and any books on high performance tend to have tended to be based on a very niche area that I'm interested in, rather than something generic. And if I was going to be answering this, I'd want to give a generic recommendation, actually. So, so, oh, actually, I do. I probably do have one. I would say um, *Sapiens* by Novell Noah, whatever his name is. But yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> that book. Yeah, but that probably that book because that informs everything that we were as a species and and the disconnect that exists now. So, so in terms of performance in all areas and all aspects of our life that would be the go-to to ensure that I can be performant across the, across the board. That's, that's great. And before we go on to the last question, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's funny you mentioned sapiens there because I wanted to bring up the concept of evolutionary biology. And I'll link to, of course, your website in the show notes, but I love the work that you've done in terms of going back and researching what ancestors have actually done in terms of play and how we need to incorporate that. So Daryl, thank you so much for this. Oh no, you're welcome. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to have a chat about this and uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be useful to, to many of your audience. So thank you. Where's the best place for people to find you? Best place is at my blog, which is primalplay.com. So there I explore not only the joy of movement, but also the science of movement and physical activity and, and play theory and the benefits of play. In terms of social media, I'm known as the Fitness Explorer. So at Fitness Explorer at, at Instagram, on Twitter, or, or Googling for me uh, for the Fitness Explorer will, will also allow you to connect, connect with me. And I also have some written works in, in book form. Uh, so my latest book was called Animal Moves, which uh, was a bestseller in, in many categories. And that explores how we should be training more, moving more like the animals we are to become more human. So the volume, the type of intensity, the type of activities we should be being performing um, form part of that, that work. And I've also recently done a, a TEDx talk, and that really kind of crystallizes uh, all of my thoughts around this problem of, of sedentary living in, uh, in a kind of a TED style and amount of time that you have available to do so so uh, that's probably like a great way to to get a, an overview as to all the things that i do in like 15 minutes or so <laughs> of a of a ted talk daryl thank you again for taking the time this has been an absolute pleasure and uh, i think i know what i'm going to be doing with my friday evening so thank you for taking the time today oh you're welcome thanks so much for the, for your time to all the superhumans listening out there have an absolutely epic day superhumans before you go, can I ask two favors? Did you enjoy that episode? If so, can you send me an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com? Provide any feedback, positive or negative. I would love to hear from you. And for those of you who have really taken advantage of that, you know I respond to each email. 
Secondly, if you did enjoy the episode, can you head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of your favorite podcast listening platforms, and give Decoding Superhuman a five-star rating. It would really be appreciated. And then finally, for those of you who are looking at taking an informed approach to health, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com. Check out what we have going on over there, and if you want to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me, you're going to have that option. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day, and remember as always, choose health.